0: Hello, this is Jeremiah, host and producer of the Stereoactive Movie Club podcast, with a quick note before the show begins. This episode was actually recorded way back in October of 2021. Mia and I had a baby in the fall, and due to that, some health concerns leading up to the birth, and now actually being parents of a lovely little one, we had to unceremoniously put the podcast on hold for a while. We hope you'll bear with us as we work toward getting back on track with the show in the coming weeks and months, though. Now, Here's the episode. Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I am here with Alicia, Laura, and Steven. Unfortunately, Mia isn't able to join us for this episode. And we are going to be talking about the 1939 film, The Rules of the Game, directed by Jean Renoir. But before we go on, let's hear from everyone about what movies they've watched since the last time we recorded. Stephen, how about you?
1: I watched Jason and the Argonauts, uh, that movie from 1963. It was about the quest for the Golden Fleece, which I really did enjoy it. They, that was a movie where they had a lot of stop motion as from a technical achievement as a special effect. Mm-hmm. And it was a movie where you might've seen clips of it where the, the people are fighting um, like skeletons with swords. Or, yeah. you know, it, it, was, it was really well done for 1963. It was pretty impressive, so.
0: Is that Ray uh, Harryhausen who did that? I think so. The, the, think. the effects at least.
1: Yeah, they did a little like precursor or whatever. And they were talking about it before the movie. It's on um, the Turner Classic movies, I think, um, or ACM, one of those. Um, and then the second movie I saw was because it was Halloween, I watched Sorority Row, which was made in 2009. And it actually I enjoyed it a lot more than I should have. I think I laughed a lot more than I expected to laugh at it. And then the deaths were really creative. So um, it was it was actually better than I expected. I had no expectations when I saw it. So it was it was enjoyable for a Halloween movie. Nice.
0: Uh, Well, I saw Dune, the new Dune. I thought it was visually impressive. I thought the world building was impressive. I'm not sure how I feel about the storytelling. I mean, the movie literally ends with them saying this is the beginning, which is a little frustrating, but like, it's sort of one of those things where I'm willing to hold my fire on it until I see the next one and see if it comes together like uh, uh, you know it it could be part of a bigger thing that pays off uh a la marvel or other things like that but until then uh Jerry's out i also saw they live again the john carpenter movie uh which continues to resonate through the ages and will forever i guess until capitalism dies um and i saw
2: that in the theater
0: really yeah
2: Yeah.
0: nice was Uh, great then uh, rewatched for the millionth time, Beginners, which is one of my comfort movies, <laughs> um, and uh, then I also saw his uh, Mike Mills's new movie in a sneak preview at the Austin Film Society. Come on, come on, with Joaquin Phoenix and Gabby Hoffman, and uh, it was it was pretty good. Watching those two films back to back made me realize like how nobody, I think, working today in movies is maybe as good as he is at like telling a heartfelt earnest story without it being like cloying and annoying. It's actually come across in the way it's intended. And I, I really like him.
2: That's a really nice way to put it. I think, um, even though I have had problems with some of his recent films, I think that I couldn't argue with what you just said. Fair enough. And I can argue with it. Anything.
0: <laughs> That's how I know I really got one over when Laura's like, <laughs> I
3: can't even argue with that.
0: Uh, Alicia, how about you?
3: Um, I watched the original Dune, the David Lynch Dune this week. Never seen it before and never read any of the books or anything. Um, And I didn't, you know, I was expecting to like find it really boring or,
2: you know, (laughs) S-H-I-T-T-Y.
3: But I actually didn't. I thought it was okay.
2: We just got PG now. Like, oh, sorry. I know.
1: When did that happen? I don't remember. That hey, happened.
2: my parents might be listening. I don't oh, know. Uh, no, no. I'm, okay. I'm,
3: i But I don't know. It was okay. Like I, I understood everything that was going on. Like I, I I've heard a lot of people find it difficult to follow the plot, but I didn't find it difficult. And I just thought, you know, it's it wasn't ready to be made. It didn't. They didn't have the technolo- the technology to do the type of special effects that it seems like the story probably needs. And there was a lot of really, there was a lot of boring sequences, but overall I didn't hate it or anything. And I found the sting stuff really
2: entertaining. (laughs) He's like half naked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: My main um, thing with that movie is I think it's impossible to follow a movie when you can't keep your eyes open because you're asleep.
1: <laughs> i never got through it jeremiah because i, I, yeah, think I mentioned that. i, I, I was like I,
0: my eyes kept closing yeah every time i've I never seen it. that full movie because it's so boring I, I fall asleep during it uh and laura how about you what have you been watching
2: i re-watched leon the professional um the mm. 1994 luke Besson film mostly because i mean i remember just absolutely loving it and loving luke Besson. but i wanted to revisit it and see how i felt about it and um and it made me very uncomfortable um mm. in many ways and um it's still it's still such an enjoyable film mm-hmm. and and there are some very specific choices that you watch the director make to sexualize this 12-year-old girl and um it's just very confusing and um unsettling experience even Gary Oldman's role it's just you eat him up, you love it. And it's, he's just a sociopath, mm-hmm. like psychotic murder killed children, you know, like it's just, mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm I i I'm not eloquent about it, but I I felt like I wanted to treat it. So that's what I did this week.
1: Mm-hmm. I saw that movie when I went to Italy um, when I was in college and it was Leon, I think. And I that's mm-hmm. the only time I've ever actually seen it. So I, I'm sure that I'd love to rewatch it just to see if I feel the same way. Cause it was very visual, I remembered. Um, cause my Italian mm-hmm. wasn't that great. So <laughs> I, mean, I had to depend more on what I was seeing on the screen than the language. Yeah. So
2: there's some amazing fishbowl shots and just mm-hmm. the way they navigate in New York city tight space mm-hmm. is really interesting and made it so beautiful. And the soundtrack was really cool. And yeah, it was, it was a lot to, I'm still wrapping my head around it. Mm-hmm.
0: All right. Well, for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight & Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made, which comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out in 2022, so we're basically using that as our prompt to watch some classic movies ahead of it. And again, this time we are talking about the rules of the game. But before we get into the history and background of the movie... Uh, What did each of us know about it going into this viewing? Who had seen it before? And if you hadn't, what were you expecting, if anything? And since I was the one who picked this one, I guess I'll start us off and explain why I chose it. Basically, this is one of the two films in the top five of the 2012 list that we hadn't watched yet. So that was one of the big reasons I picked it. And it's been in the top five of this poll every time since 1962 which is another reason I wanted to pick it I did see it years ago when I was in college didn't remember very much of it I did remember that I don't think I got it at the time I, I sort of came away from it uh, as a 20 or probably 18 or 19 year old just sort of wondering what the fuss was about but it was like one of those movies that we'd see clips of in classes and stuff and it was just kind of drilled into you that it was important and I you know kind of felt like I never connected with the why of that so that's where I was coming at with it and uh Laura how about you
2: I knew absolutely nothing about this film I knew it was going to be in black and white and it was going to be dusty <laughs> and uh I I was I had a lot of trepidation about it I was like uh before we watched it so I just it's not like one of those um, things we all people talk about, even though it's been in this poll for so many, every time it's, I, you know, I'm a movie nerd and I'm, a, you know, I'll argue with people online about stuff and, and this <laughs> movie just doesn't really come up much or hasn't in my um, space. So. Right.
0: And Stephen, what about you? Um, I had never heard of
1: this movie before at all. So it was a complete, Uh, Surprise to me to watch it Um, So yeah I I had no Expectations going into it
0: Okay and Alicia
3: I'd also never Heard of it before I I like briefly Googled it when I was trying to decide which Film I wanted to pick this around so I knew it was a French film That was supposed to be like a comedy Of manners or some type of Social commentary but that's all I really Knew
0: Okay Uh, let's go ahead and take a break We'll be back in a moment And welcome back. So, as I've often done on the show, I'm going to read from an entry in the Ultimate Encyclopedia of the Movies, which I got when I was in high school and first getting into movies. As always, the parts that may be more subjective aren't for me personally, but perhaps we can delve into those things as we get into our group discussion. The great pre-war French satirical comedy of manners, The Rules of the Game, is widely regarded as Jean Renoir's masterpiece, marking its move away from naturalism towards a more classical and poetic style. It boasts a deceptively simple story about a count organizing a shooting party for his friends, which becomes the setting for a complex of romantic intrigues. Renoir took this by no means original setup, added a Beaumarchais-style subplot, in which the servants aped the behavior of so-called betters and created a bleakly pessimistic but often hilarious comedy of social mores, which dissects the games people play in their relationships, set against a society riven by class distinctions. As the unblinking eye of his camera records the intrigues, social rivalries, and foibles of the characters, the mood switches daringly from comedy to tragedy, realism to fantasy, melodrama to farce. Renoir himself also acted in the film, turning in a beautiful performance as the well-meaning muddler Octave. Ironically, the film proved one of Renoir's greatest commercial failures. It was cut drastically and not seen again in its entirety until 1956, after careful restoration. Again, that was an entry in the ultimate encyclopedia of the movies. The Rules of the Game was the most expensive film ever made in France at the time of its production and came on the heels of a series of successful films that had made Renoir one of the top French directors. After initial preview screenings that began in June of 1939 and a premiere in July that met with low box office and mixed reviews, a series of edits eventually whittled the film down from its 113-minute runtime to 85 minutes. Many of the edits excised Renoir's own performance, resulting in a much less complex and integral character. By October, the film was banned in France for being, quote, depressing, morbid, immoral, and having an undesirable influence over the young, end quote. A successful 1956 attempt at restoration led to the discovery of negatives and other prints and audio for the film that had been thought lost during World War II. Eventually, with advice from Renoir, a 106-minute cut was assembled that largely restored what had been cut after the film's post-release failure. The restoration was screened for Renoir in 1959 and reportedly left the director in tears. It then premiered at the 1959 Venice Film Festival to much praise. It's this restored version of the film that most people have seen and which has influenced countless filmmakers since then. Director Satyajit Ray, whose film Pather Panchali will be watching for an upcoming episode, said of The Rules of the Game, It is a film that doesn't wear its innovations on its sleeve, humanist, Classical? Avant-garde? Contemporary? I defy anyone to give it a label. This is the kind of innovation that appeals to me." To give a sense of what was popular in the United States in 1939, as The Rules of the Game was first released in France, Gone with the Wind was both the far and away top grossing film of the year and also the big winner at the Academy Awards. For our purposes, this is the only film that's been in the top 10 of Sight & Sound's critics' poll every single time since it began in 1952, when it debuted at number 10, even before its restoration. It then fluctuated between number 2 and number 3 from 1962 to 2002, and was then at number 4 in 2012. Additionally, it was on the director's poll in 2002 at number 9. In the 2012 polling, 100 critics had the film on their list, and 17 directors, including Olivier, Assayas, Lawrence Kasdan, Steve McQueen, and Paul Schrader. All right, so again, since this was my pick, I'll start us off with my thoughts on the film and whether it met my expectations or lived up to my memory of it. And I guess I'll basically say I definitely think that I appreciated it more this time. I'm still not sure I fully connect with it in the way that the many, many critics and film directors who voted for it in 2012 and all the previous polls by Sight and Sound do. I think I can understand it more intellectually than maybe emotionally in some ways. Like, I. I get it like there are certain things about the 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 form of the storytelling the craft of the filmmaking that are um, innovative but they are almost invisible in a way to a modern eye I think which is something I want to kind of come back to Um, but I did enjoy it I do think it's an entertaining story and I think I enjoyed it just as a story more probably today than I did in college uh, which is probably not surprising so steven how about you what did you think and did it live up to the the small perhaps expectations you may have had not knowing much about the movie at all
1: i did actually really like this movie a lot and i think um and i keep beating a dead horse about this but i feel like movies like this you need to watch multiple times in order to kind of understand what was happening with it. When I watched it the first time, I did enjoy the story, but the second time I watched it, I got so much more out of it. And it felt like the characters are much more complex than I gave them credit for. And I think in some ways that the movie was, um, the the characters all seem very similar to each other. So it was kind of hard to parse who they were sometimes, Mm -hmm. but they did seem to like, carry the same kinds of emotions or they struggled a lot in their own way. So I was able to kind of identify with them and they were all very different yet the same. So it was kind of an interesting thing to watch, I think. And and I also struggled with it a little bit just because there wasn't a clear protagonist and maybe that's why, because everybody was kind of struggling at the same time. Um, And it's also, I felt like it was one of those movies that you would study in a film school because there was so much going on with it. And you can find so much in these movies as you keep watching them. So overall, I I thought it was worth watching and I did enjoy it. And I feel like I should watch it like a dozen more times so I can get everything.
0: Right, and uh, Laura, what about you?
2: I thought it was very charming, um, very surprisingly um, enjoyable. It's so it was so layered as an ensemble cast, and it it just reminded me so much of Gosford Park. Um, <laughs> I wonder how I would have felt about the film if I had seen it before Gosford Park, but I haven't. And it was obvious that was obviously a this movie was obviously a huge inspiration for Altman mm-hmm. and um his filmmaking. And, yeah, I, I mean, i I thought it was really really good. and i I didn't know that Renoir acted in the film. Um, until after which and I thought his performance was one of the most poignant and and um, yeah it was was cool man
0: (laughs) and Alicia what about you
2: oh I hated this
3: (laughs) I hated it a lot sorry (laughs) like I I went back and watched it with the commentary even because I was just like I know I'm missing something and uh, even with the commentary it did make me appreciate it and understand it a little bit better, but I just was like, as an American viewer in 2021, I, how would I have any context for understanding <laughs> what the rules are that anyone's supposed to be following? It's, I get that they're, supposed to be a few characters that are insiders and a few characters that are outsiders and that's great that's somewhat helpful but I still was like I still don't know who's following the rules when and who's breaking the rules when and it just never I just never connect with it and I have I've not to the laundry list but I wrote out a whole bunch of reasons while I was watching it and wrote a whole bunch of things I didn't like and maybe we'll cover some of those, but I didn't like this movie. Sorry. Okay.
0: I'm actually <laughs> shocked by that. I thought of all of us, you would probably be the one who liked it the most. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I thought that. I cause I, I think because you like British shows and stuff, and I know this is French, but like there's a whole layer of aristocracy and class to it that I, I think of as similar to that and uh, and you know like the whole Gosford Park of it all like Laura was saying I I definitely upstairs downstairs
2: downstairs. Mm stuff yeah exactly so I
0: I kind of thought you would like this movie I'm I'm, I'm surprised (laughs) so was the commentary you listened to was it the Peter
3: Bogdanovich commentary I don't think so. I don't okay. know. I it was whatever was on Criterion. Yeah, I
0: think that's Peter Bogdanovich. I started to mm-hmm. listen to that and just was like, "This is so dense," and I don't have time for this mm-hmm. right now. I just finished watching mm-hmm. this movie and other things to do, but it seemed very interesting. Yeah. Like wh- I'm curious, what were your biggest couple of takeaways for, from listening to that commentary? The commentary? After, yeah. After well, not enjoying the movie the first go around without it.
3: I mean, he definitely whoever's doing it, if it is Bogdanovich, whoever whoever's doing it definitely like, um, brings out a lot of the points out a lot of the emotional complexity that's going on that I wasn't able to like, understand, and maybe it's a language barrier, or maybe just the style of acting I wasn't connecting with or something, I'm not sure. Um, And, you know, they talked about um, some of the cinematography, and they talked about, they talk, he really did talk a lot about actually like what the, what rules were being broken and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So after the commentary, I did under like I said, I did understand it better and appreciate it a little bit more, but I just felt like I, I still didn't like ha- come away with a love for it or, or even really, I kind of wondered if the point was that I'm supposed to dislike all these characters. I think that is kind of the point in the end. It's, it's, it is kind of like a, takedown of, of these of this class and these types of attitudes and this frivolousness that was happening right on the eve of World War II mm-hmm. but I th- also thought it didn't really go far enough in that direction it was like too subtle as a social commentary for me and too subtle as like a commentary on i not subtle enough in other ways and not so enough to point out what was actually wrong I don't know if right. <laughs> that makes any sense <laughs>
1: Steven. I don't know. Um, I think a good a good reason for that, or not a good reason, but it made me think of near the end of the movie where they were having that shootout with all the characters, and it didn't seem to phase a lot of the people in there. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that was in there was very even, so it was kind of hard to like have any kind of emotional investment because so much was going on and it was all at the same kind of tempo. Yeah. So you couldn't really connect with like, oh, this relationship, it really is going to be powered by something. It was sort of like even... Christine near the end when she was like, I'm in love with, um, what's the name Andre? And then all of a sudden he's in love with uh, the other person. And it seemed like it was the same emotions. So I I feel like for some reason, yeah, it was hard to connect with that. I think.
3: Yeah. She was all over the place and I didn't really, I wasn't sure if she really loved anybody or if she was just like trying to get out of this marriage or this world that she didn't like being in. I found her very uncharismatic as an actor. I didn't understand why anyone
2: love, was in love with her. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry, Laura. Laura, I think it, it's it's about the whims of the rich. The rich, and um, she was the classic example of that as this foreigner in in France. And and the more I, there is a lot of underlying stuff about um, the impending war and what's coming and, and there's lots of conversations. And it, yeah, I, I I I thought it was, yes, she was all over the place. Yes, she fell in love with anybody at <laughs> in a moment's notice and you didn't really know what the deal was, but I didn't know if you were supposed to as much as when you're in that level of society, that's just how you behaved then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. don't know, I just sort I of don't... rolled with it.
0: Yeah, I agree with you, I thought it was, that's kind of part of the satire of it is that it's about how these people don't have necessarily hard and fast feelings about anything. They're just kind of whatever floats their boat in the moment. And I think that even extends maybe to what Stephen was talking about of like the sort of evenness or or however you described it of the action of like no one being phased by fucking gunfire in this house, <laughs> you know, like it it's just they're whatever, who cares? It's just entertainment to them. They even say like they thought it was just like part of the spectacle because mm-hmm. they were at this masquerade party with the performance going on which I mean maybe they're trying to make a statement here about the blurring of the lines between reality and and uh frivolous play or something I don't know but anyway anybody else
3: <laughs> Well I was just say I couldn't I can see the gunfire and them not paying attention or them not being really faced by the violence the hunting, the um, the death of the obviously the death of Andre, but also what there's like a conversation that one of the one or two of the men are having at the end of the hunting scene where he's like, "Oh yeah, remember that guy that shot himself in the leg? <laughs> <Right>. yeah <laughs> Took him twenty minutes to die." <laughs> yeah, and they're just like, "That I can see as like an interesting sort of, I don't I don't think foreshadowing is the word, but an interesting like take on how people didn't seem to think." didn't seem to want to take the world around them seriously or didn't have any emotional Mm -hmm. investment in, in anyone. And that was sort of something that was, that they were, that was sort of the same way they were treating the, uh, the impending war. So I, Mm -hmm. I appreciated that aspect of it. I just think that like when when there's a movie where you, (laughs) or any TV show or book or anything where there's no character that you really like, and you really are rooting for Mm A lot of people appreciate that, and and I get it, but I don't like that. I I mm-hmm. have a really hard time with that.
0: So I think Laura said that she enjoyed Renoir's performance as Octave, right? Um, mm-hmm. I did too. So I I guess mm-hmm. I'm not saying he's like the hero of the movie or anything. I don't think he's quite that. He's sort of like this intermittent court jester or something. Yeah. Um, but I like him as a character. I'm, yeah. y- you didn't enjoy his his performance or his character in the in the film either alicia
3: um i i probably disliked him the least (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs)
0: okay but
3: i mean i i i just didn't i i don't know i just didn't can I, I just didn't like it, didn't like it.
1: Hmm. I felt like he was just like an outsider and maybe that's why he was kind of freer to act like he mm-hmm. could. Um, so that's why I think he sort of had so many good relationships with the people that were around. Right. Um, and even at the end, it showed like he was, he'd he rather preserve the friendship than to go after what he really wanted. Right. And yeah. that seemed to be a good theme for the movie in and it of itself. It seemed like the friendships with people were much stronger than the actual like love relationships.
0: Right. Yeah, and I mean, that seemed to be a theme from the beginning where they talk about how a, a man and a woman can't be friends or something like that. Um, I don't mm-hmm. remember how they phrase it, but...
2: Something about wings. Something yeah. not supposed to have wings having wings.
0: Yeah. A pig.
2: <laughs> also,
0: in, in terms of characters that you like or not, um, I I actually ended up really liking The Count by the end of the movie. Mm. Um, at, at the start, I was like, oh, this fucking guy. This is annoying. But... Uh, <laughs> I don't know, as, as it went on, like he, just, he was just fun to watch, I thought, on screen. Agree. I agree. And his weird little
2: obsession with collecting musical.
0: Like, like automatons or something. Yeah. 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 Um, and
2: Marceau was interesting to me, just this, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he, yeah, I liked all of the characters. Even he's even very
0: broad. Marceau is very broad. I hated Marcel.
3: <laughs> <I hated laughs> <Marceau. laughs> <laughs> Hated <laughs> him. I think maybe he's what tanked the whole movie for yeah. me. Yeah, wow. he he
0: kind of seems like he's coming out of like Faulty Towers or something. Yeah, yeah. and it's he's not well.
3: even. I don't even think his physical c- comedy is very good. Like when you compare it to the physical comedy of Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin at the time, I just didn't even think it was like in the ball par- in the same ballpark. Sure. I thought it was way too, way too obvious. I don't know. It didn't look when he when he knocked into the table and knocked the tray over. And alerted the husband to his presence it didn't look accidental it Looked like he did it on purpose mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no i just didn't like it oh, sorry
0: <laughs> well I, I feel like a sometimes theme that we've had through the podcast is is some of these movies that are sort of a template for things that came later in a way um that it can mm-hmm. be hard to like appreciate them after mm-hmm. watching the things that came later so do you think this is at all a case of that for you alicia where, like, I don't know what your thoughts are on Gosford Park or Downton Abbey, uh, a million other things. Like, I even saw people comparing The Big Chill to this, mm. of it's like everyone gathers together in a house and the truth comes out, sort of thing. <laughs> um yeah. So, are do you think there's an element of that to it blocking your enjoyment of the film fully?
3: Yeah, I mean, to- that could totally be. That I could totally be that I've seen it done in a way that I consider better or I, I, I don't, I really do. I was surprised too, that I didn't like it because I really do like Gosford park. I watched most of Downton Abbey. Um, I like the big chill, you know, like I like things like that, but I feel like those instances, there's at least one person that you can kind of Mm -hmm. grasp onto. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, I didn't, there was no one in this that I, i mean the the niece was sweet but she's not in it enough for you to really care about her on any sort of real like level
2: do you mean like there's no moral compass to the film i
3: guess and i get that that's sort of the point Mm -hmm. but i just don't particularly enjoy that type of storytelling
2: i could get why that would be reeling on some level Mm -hmm. It
1: It's funny because usually I'm on your side, Alicia, I need someone to root (laughs) for. No, it's just the way that I am when I watch something like it's always sunny in Philadelphia. I can't stand it because I don't like any, (laughs) any character and there's nobody normal on that show that I can kind (laughs) of hang my hat on. See, I do
3: like that show. I think, I think Charlie's the (laughs) moral compass of that show, even though he's horrible, but anyway.
1: But yeah, but that's how I, but it it was the reverse in this movie. I kind of liked how everybody in the movie just came with their own struggle and that Mm -hmm. they weren't perfect people and you felt like oh they're going to learn something at the end which i don't know if anybody really did but sort of like it was more about the journey for me than it was about the end result so i, I felt like it was kind of it was just enjoyable to watch even though i wasn't sure if i liked any of the characters
0: mm-hmm.
2: i i felt compassion for them even if I, an mm-hmm. empathy, even if i didn't necessarily mm-hmm. like them or think their motivations were pure right.
1: yeah i like how you said that that's true that's what i felt too
0: well, we touched on how the the movie is sort of like a uh, it it takes place like just before the dawn of World War II, um, and it's often discussed as a portrayal of that time. So, does that context? I guess it sounds like it did come through naturally to everybody to some degree. Is that true, or if not, did reflecting on it after the fact and like perhaps reading about that context or listening to commentary, how did that affect your thoughts on it?
2: The kitchen scene where they're talking about Jews, essentially, yeah. you know, and how they're approaching that, is is pretty telling of of the context of the time.
0: And the count is Jewish, which I think is, the count yeah. is Jewish, but they yeah. but
2: they say but he's a gentleman, right? Right. It was, mm-hmm. it was a that was very interesting, or right. how she was this cold Austrian Christine kind of, but yet too. Affectionate, and when they were doing the performance, and they had those beards and hats, and what what were they trying to emulate? You know, I, I think it, there was just so much sprinkled throughout of of um, yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I think I had read that um, Christine, the actress, you know, since she was really Austrian, I guess she had an she had an accent. So like, I, I feel like if I had been able to speak French and been able to discern that, that was probably one of the other things that would have kind of mm-hmm. come up.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, they, they do tell us that pretty heavily at the beginning, but I, I agree mm-hmm. that like, when you hear a, mm-hmm. a, a tell of that, like throughout something, it, mm-hmm. it definitely has more of an effect rather than just being told about it, but actually witnessing it as well. Um but yeah i i do think that for me that's something i didn't grasp the first time i saw it or didn't understand fully and i feel like i'm you know older hopefully wiser probably not as wise as i should be but uh you know like i've read more in my life and like understand history better than i did uh 20 years ago and i i, I think i can appreciate it as sort of like this time stamp of a time and place and the issues that were a play in that society and how it kind of fed into this bigger thing that blew up and engulfed the world. Like it's, it's kind of funny to attach this on the surface, seemingly like kind of unserious farce to like something so tragically big and, you know, bad. So, uh, yeah, but, I think it's there.
2: I just kept thinking about how within weeks, they'll all, every single character will be dead.
1: Right. <laughs> mm.
2: Wow. invaded. <Hopefully>, or... <laughs> oh. Didn't anybody else think that way?
3: I thought of the course, like their whole world and their country and everything would be torn to, you know, torn asunder, mm-hmm. but um, I wasn't picturing them all dead or anything. Um, but <laughs> I wonder if a lot of stuff got Put onto this later, you know what I mean? Like after the war, sure. I think I think there was a lot easier to read into read into things. I don't necessarily know that the sort of mildly or not so mildly anti-Semitic stuff. I don't know that they were fully aware how that 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 was like of what was actually going on in some of these places and how that would actually. Play into what happened in World War II. I don't know how aware they were of what was happening to Jewish people in concentration. I obviously I know they were being ghettoized, and I'm sure that that was like known. But I don't know how much they knew about how far that was going to go. And right. I think a lot of things that happened later, uh, you know, the, a lot of knowledge that came later kind of got put on, put onto this. Sure,
0: but, yeah. but but I do think it's telling that. Renoir thought he was making just like this kind of silly movie, it, or at least to hear him tell it. I have my doubts to some degree mm. about how true his, him saying that is, but the movie got banned in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it wasn't considered just this like mild farce. It, it It had bite to it that people interpreted at the time, even before the war. I mean, it was, it was only out for what was it like, not even half a year before it got banned in France,
3: yeah, I think i don't I think I would be curious to know the full reasoning behind why it got banned. I don't know that it's necessarily the same reasons that we're thinking of it sure. <laughs> thinking that it's great today
0: sure i'm not I'm not necessarily saying that, but I'm just saying like it it wasn't like um I don't know what's the most frivolous comedy that would come out today like that you would never think would would have any meaning later like it's I yeah, don't, I don't think it was seen as that. The remake
2: of the importance of being earnest, or something. And <laughs> 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 things I hate about you. Well, yeah. So I wanted. I have two points to that. I it, it was banned because I think they thought it was more morbid, and and I think the the free love aspect. That's from what mm. I read. Mm-hmm. I think the, those elements made it um, distasteful in French culture. But to to Alicia's point, where she's talking about. It wasn't anti-Semitic on purpose. It was just there was just elements of anti-Semitism with in throughout the entire film. And I think that in itself is telling about the moment in time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true.
1: Yeah. There were some other moments where, you know, they there was talking about Negroes or about mm-hmm. yeah. you know, Arabs and Muslims. So like I feel like it was just sort of like a casual racism that they had. Mm-hmm. And that was just mm-hmm. part of like their class. So like yeah. I like you, I didn't really think it was necessarily tied to the war but
3: I think it was also a way to make the count and his wife out sort of outsiders which I think maybe we already mentioned that but mm-hmm. but yeah it's people that didn't understand the rules of the game that they were supposed to be playing their little That's love a game good so point or whatever. yeah yeah like thank Bogdanovich in. for that point <laughs> <laughs> or whoever
1: okay. take the win it was
0: Bogdanovich by the way I, I forgot to say I looked it up and it he did do the commentary okay
3: okay. Yeah. It was good.
0: Yeah. Um, so related to the Satyajit Ray quote I cited earlier, um, I feel like we're kind of already touching on this. But do you think the subtlety of the film does make it harder to recognize its innovations and importance with modern eye? And By that, I'm, I'm not. I don't mean just like the stuff we're talking about in terms of story, but some of the craft elements of it, using uh, deep focus um, cinematography. Uh, depth of field and things like that where, you know, the staging was just very, much more advanced than a lot of other things at the time. And, and it's something that we also talked about with movie that came out just, what, two years later? Citizen Kane. Like, I feel like this is sort of a, a thought of similarly in that regard to Citizen Kane and a couple other movies of really pushing things forward in, in terms of those aspects of filmmaking. But, I think it's so much more subtle in this movie than in a movie like Citizen Kane that it's easy to miss and just sort of like take in the story and not notice that that's happening. So what what is everybody's thoughts on the subtlety of those innovations as Ray kind of called it?
2: I think when I watched the hunting scene, I, I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff happening. But for the most part, I was just taken in by the story and the characters and um, the over-the-top behaviors by everyone and mm-hmm. motivations. So yes, I missed it. And I would like to go back and listen to Peter be wax poetic about the film because he he is such a film fan or used to be. Yep. I, I would like to hear those comments.
0: Stephen? Stephen?
1: Yeah, I I think about the scenes where I think it was sort of near the end when the gunplay happened and it was during, you know, the performances that they had and then like all the action was happening around all the rooms. And just thinking about the achievement that it took to go around and all the action is happening, even though it might be focused on two people, you see stuff happening in the background and then they move into that room and then mm-hmm. things are happening here and then they're happening here. And that, I guess, wasn't one of those cases in those days for movies were kind of made like that. So yeah. just the fact that I didn't notice it was actually kind of interesting. And when I watched the second time, it really did hit me that this was really an achievement. And I think that that's kind of what some of the movies we've watched are like. we were so used to seeing stuff like that that we kind of missed the achievement with that. But yeah, that was pretty spectacular when I watched it again and thought about that.
2: Yeah. good point. Yeah. Very good. I point. thought, oh, sorry. Um, I thought that
3: also all that stuff was really well done and and obviously like a big technological achievement to like stage all that's all of that action and follow it. And I thought it was also it was sad to hear that I guess the original print or I'm not sure if the original something got destroyed during World War II. Yeah, and I would love to have seen, like it without some of the cuts and some of the scenes that you can tell were kind of like placed back in later. But I thought it was really well done technologically.
0: Well, I th- I think I read a couple of different things, but most of what I saw seemed to point to the what we've seen is pretty close to what was put out by. Uh, Renoir at first. There's there's one scene that he said was missing after he saw the restored cut that he said wasn't a very important scene and and it didn't really matter. But I think otherwise, the restoration, they they found pieces of negative and other uh, uh, duplicates of the film that they were able to piece together and make something approximating pretty closely the the original i don't think it's a case like uh like we talked about with our first movie that we talked about uh uh passion of joan of arc where they had to basically find other takes because the original mm-hmm. takes were lost i think they had this stuff and just had to really work to piece it together
3: there was an interesting story in the um commentary <laughs> sorry to keep bringing it back to that but it really did it, i did find it very helpful um the scene where Christine is using the like binocular type of device Mm -hmm. to watch the squirrel that apparently supposedly that whole thing was not improvised, but they incorporated that into the story, like on the day because they wanted to find a way for her to find out about what was going on, but they didn't really have a story. They didn't really have a device for that yet. And this guy, one of the actors brought that little device with him that day. Mm-hmm. And they decided to use that. I thought that was really cool too. Like if I were like the director of film and some actor randomly brought something onto set, I would have never like been like, oh my gosh, that's like, you know, light bulb moment. Right. <laughs> I thought that was really cool.
1: That's funny because like the line, I guess, because I I pointed that out when I was I just thought it was an interesting thing when he looked when she looked through it and he said oh you can look and not disturb what's going on Mm -hmm. and then it just happens that they see that so I don't know if they wrote that for it or you know after they did that so that was really that's really interesting because it it fits so well with what they were already doing Mm -hmm. I know yeah I like that
3: yeah I wonder if it's true it's a great story either way like I thought to demonstrate the director's you know brilliant if you will
2: right what did you guys think of the quote from the beginning? Sensitive hearts, faithful hearts who shun love, whither it does range, cease to be so bitter. Is it a crime to change? If Cupid was given wings, was it not to flitter? What did <laughs> you make of it? <laughs> I liked it, but I liked the whole film.
0: Right before that, don't they have a disclaimer about like, yeah, this isn't real people. Like, I, I, I thought it was almost like the opposite of like the Fargo thing of, uh, Mm. it seemed a little pointed of like, Hey, don't blame us. We're not basing this on anything real. So don't get too mad.
2: Well, I mean, that's just to say, you know, they do that so they don't get in trouble. I know they
0: do that now. I'm not sure that was standard. then. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it was, but it, it, and it's not usually like right before the movie starts.
1: Mm. Maybe they had some test screenings and then they're like, yeah, we should put this in.
0: Maybe. I don't know.
3: Maybe. I, my notes are very um negative why the weird dolls why do I have to watch these animals being killed <laughs> I can't tell any of the men apart what um, what does anyone like about Christine everyone's hair looks like shit how come no one can take off a bear skin costume lots of racist stuff wow. <laughs> so supposed to be funny? Wow. <laughs> it's very clumsy melodramatic I'm the only sober person at the bar yeah it just gets it's that's I didn't wow. like the, I didn't like, I'm the I, only I mean, that was on my first
0: person <laughs> at the bar. Wow. <laughs> That's
2: curious, what I felt. Alicia, do you, have <laughs> you ever like, do you like Moliere or any of those kind of, I don't think I've ever of your, seen... those are plays? Yeah, oh. I know, but I don't think I've ever seen a
3: Moliere play it. Honestly, <laughs> they're ridiculous.
0: So Why? one thing is that the movie, as I said at, at the top has been on the critics list every time in the top 10, since they started doing this every 10 years. And it's been on the director's list once. It wasn't on it the first time they did it. It it was on it the second time, then not the third. Um, So I've always had sort of this like ongoing developing theory that certain movies that are more appeal to writers more and critics largely are writers often, not always, but often. And I wonder if there's something there about this movie, because I think it's more of like a literary kind of tale than something that is immediately cinematic in the way that like citizen Kane Mm -hmm. is like on the surface of it. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's subtle. Like we've been saying a little bit. Um, So I wonder if it's more a critics movie than a a filmmaker's movie in, in some ways. And that doesn't mean that no filmmakers like this, obviously plenty do. And it's right. But for it to be every time in the top 10 of the critics poll and not there as much in the directors i just I, I wondered about that
2: i think that's a really interesting point but and to m- maybe the exception to prove the rule of someone like robert altman mm-hmm. which uh, this it seems like this kind of film informed his entire oeuvre yeah. and um everything he does from it so yeah, yeah
0: but I, I, yeah. I would argue though that i think altman has more Kind of, for lack of a better word, like cinematic flair than Renoir does, because like he's always got those zooms going on. Yes, the overlapping dialogue is done in a way where it's like kind of more in your face. Like it's not as subtle. I I think the his his fascination with ensembles, I think, obviously stems from this, or or movies like this, or a similar fascination to Renoir or whatever you want to call it but I, th- I think he does have a different spin to it.
2: Well, to the uh, when we talked about how there's multiple things happening within the scene from the forefront and the back, and mm-hmm. there's all these different movements and characters and and the lens captures it all, that's what I was thinking about. But sure. yes, I agree. I, I don't agree with you.
3: I, I was just thinking, I, when you said that, I would actually have been interested to read this as a novelization. I think it would have given a lot more insight or have, would have the potential to give a lot more insight into everybody's inner world or what people thought the rules that everyone should be following were and the ways really they on were the broken. Rules. But it's called the rules of the game. <laughs> and it's, and it is supposed to be that there are people they're they're treating their like affairs as a game. And mm-hmm. you're supposed to try to still maintain this like outs outer layer of Good behavior or something, and they there are st- some characters that aren't able to do that. And then Christine tries to start playing the game when she sees her husband and the, and his mistress, and then she like is so bad at it that someone dies at the end. <laughs> so I do think the like game and its rules are kind of important to understanding and and this the stuff that's going on that you're supposed to be able to invest in, and I couldn't. So. Anyway.
0: Stephen was going to say something, and then Laura.
3: Oh, the only thing I
1: wanted to add is that I, I feel like when I saw it the second time, I just noticed how strong the dialogue was just because I was reading it. And I'm wondering, what it would it have been the same if I had just heard them acting it out, just because I felt like some of the dialogue was just kind of powerful between a lot of the characters. So that's why I wondered if some of the critics did enjoy it more because they were reading it, rather than just hearing it. That was just like my, my question. Because okay. I mean, some of them weren't French, obviously, so...
2: I just wanted to bring up the timeline. I Christine knew about the the affair even before. I, I don't think the binocular scene is is what showed know. her. I, I don't know about
3: that. <laughs> well,
2: you don't you disagree? Yeah, I don't think she did. Okay, because the next day when she said, "Have I ever given you a hard time about your affair?"
3: she was prying. She was coming in to like try to get information out of her about it and confirmed that it was really like a long-term affair. I don't think she actually knew. I think she was like fishing for information and she was pretending to play their game and be like, yeah, of course I know. I'm not bothered at all. And what do you think about when he does this and that? And I don't think she did know beforehand because at the end of the movie, she comes out, she's having that scene with Octave and Lissette. And she's like, everybody knew about this for three years. You knew that
2: my marriage was a lie and nobody told me. Mm, That's interesting, Alicia. I have to think about that.
1: I thought the same thing when she had mentioned like, oh, do you notice the ashes on the sheets and all that stuff? And then they were both laughing about it, but she didn't seem really that happy about it mm-hmm. when that had happened. I, so. I
3: think she was not a, also not a very good actor. Like, I just didn't get a sense of what anyone, why people were like so passionately in love with this woman. I don't know. I just, she didn't have a lot of charisma for me. So I think maybe that's also a reason that it was hard to know what did she know or not, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, I could understand that. I don't think she's, like, burning up the screen or anything. I didn't have a problem with her necessarily, but you're not the first. Like, I read a couple of reviews afterwards where I I saw her performance called out. So I I don't think you're alone in thinking that by any means.
2: I thought she was very Garbo-esque.
3: See, I don't think she was doing anything close to what Garbo could do with her face. You know, I think there's a, sim- there's like a looks similarity thing there, but I just think Arbo's face is like so expressive and I just didn't see that in this, in this actress. I th- I feel really bad to say that about anyone because I know everyone's like trying their best, <laughs> but I just think it was not as successful she didn't do a good job right. for me.
1: What did you think of Lisette? I thought she was, um, she was a little bit more broad, but you know, she definitely... Kind of was more emotional about everything, and maybe it was just because her story was just a much more emotional type, in your face story. But
3: yeah, I liked Lisette. I thought I thought she was good. I thought I thought everybody else was pretty good. I just didn't. I just thought that it, maybe it was a mistake to cast her as the sort of central. Although I understand they wanted someone who was an Austrian and or whatever. I just think they could have cast a different Austrian actress to play the part. But um, yeah but I liked every, I liked, I didn't like Marceau. I didn't like a lot of the characters. I didn't love Marceau's physical humor stuff, but I didn't, I didn't think like on an acting level that anyone else was like doing a bad job.
0: Okay. So how about we take one more break and then we'll come back, share our final thoughts on the film and get into our bonus questions and all that stuff. (laughs) We're back. So, what was everyone's favorite scene or moment or some other element of the movie? And not to keep harping on you, Alicia, but since you were the one who liked the movie the least, is there something you can point to as, as an element that you did like?
3: I was trying to think of something before this, and I was like, I can't even think of any scene that I liked. Um, I guess I liked the binoculars thing that I brought up earlier. And I thought, I do think it's impressive. Like I said, I think the staging and everything is is technically impressive. But um, so I guess that's like the element that I liked the most.
0: Okay. Steven, how about you? Um, I liked, uh, I think it was
1: when a, during one of the dance sequences when everybody was watching um, the performances and there was like a spotlight and it was moving throughout some of the rooms for the couples that were kind of, yeah. you know, agonizing over different things and just the movement of that and just seeing like, you kind of felt like what everybody was going through at different moments, but it was moving so fast that you kind of got a a better sense of, you know, just the grandeur of what the scene was gonna be about rather than just like focusing on this person and going here, you kind of had the movement, which I really liked.
0: Right, Laura?
2: The morning when all of the people woke up and found their shoes missing, the men, and they all came together in that that scene sequence and played mm-hmm. with each other and communicated mm-hmm. that way, I thought that was really fun. The ending scene when spoiler alert, i won't get too specific but the th- when the three women hold hands and um tristina's like what people are watching so they had to show no emotion so i thought that was an interesting moment the hunting scene was long and it was brutal and interesting it was very watershed down but actual murder
1: <laughs> yeah so that the whole helpful. scene that whole scene was just really interesting to me, just because they're like, "Oh, we're hunting," but they weren't really hunting; they were they just like shooting but that's at what stuff. They
0: did. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it was just, it was
1: just funny that like that's an upper crust thing to do. Apparently, is like, "Oh, we're going hunting." Yeah, totally. And they're all in like really nice mm-hmm. clothes,
0: and they're just shooting rabbits, which are being knocked to them. Yeah. So, yes. yeah. That is
1: um,
3: how rich, wealthy people hunt. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. The, I mean that part now is going to always make me think of Succession, which I'm not sure if anyone else on this podcast is watching that show, but.
2: I just watched the first episode of the first season. Okay. That's all I've
0: seen. Well, there, there, there is a hunting trip at one point um, yeah. and they are also barely hunting, if hunting at all. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm kind of, I think, in a similar boat to Steven in terms of what my favorite part was. I liked both the movement that he brought to certain scenes but then the kind of stillness and and uh, reliance on that deep focus and depth of field and others, I thought it was interesting to watch his choices about when he used each of those. And it always seemed like the right decision, which, you know, he, he was a great filmmaker, so it's not that surprising. But um, I, I just like watching for that sort of stuff, especially when it's something I know is kind of praised about a, a movie anyway. It's like easy to kind of pay attention to it on a on a subsequent watch if you've seen it before. Yeah, so has the movie, as far as you are concerned, stood the test of time? Do you think it resonates today? Steven, do you wanna start us off?
1: I think it does resonate because I feel like there's always gonna be classes of rich people and not so rich people and working class people and the people make bad decisions every day and some rich people or upper class people, pretend that things don't matter to them when they do, but they just need to keep things up for appearances. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's kind of a universal story that will always carry forward. And then also just the filmmaking itself. I mean, just looking at how the the technical achievements of it and just the story. So I, I feel like it does. It It's definitely kind of an older story just because it was made you know, a while back, but I just feel like it's still a universal theme. Right.
0: Alicia?
3: No, and no, I think that there is a lot of interesting stuff in there. Um, but I think it's like the for me, it's just the prime example of it's been done better later a lot. And, um, and I think it, that the subtleties are too subtle, the, the intricacies of French society <laughs> right before the war in between the two wars, it just uh is too subtle for me, too intricate for me. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, it just didn't. didn't
2: doesn't
0: resonate with me and Laura
2: I think yes to everything that Steven said um but then the surprisingly lack of empathy of the rich and upper classes I think is definitely something that resonates today
0: okay yeah I'm kind of torn on this question I I, I think like of the movies we've watched so far maybe this one stands the test of time the least, even though I really enjoy it. I think it's maybe the hardest one for an average moviegoer to connect with, I would guess, Um, just because it, it does seem so specific to the time and place it was made in so many ways. That said, I think that if you're willing to kind of go there, there is plenty to pull out and examine and connect with. And I do think that the fact that it's been so influential as sort of like this template of upstairs downstairs class depiction proves that it's important but i i don't know i always struggle with this question and what the fuck it means honestly uh uh, i should have wrote this question differently huh um alicia (laughs) you're gonna say something
3: i just wanted to say like i'm glad stephen brought up the masquerade scene because i had kind of forgotten about that the scene with the um where they do the dance macabre Mm -hmm. and the spotlight is it i thought that was actually like really really eerie right in light of the timing and everything that happened after it it really did make me think of like the germans Mm. shining their spotlights down on people in the street to see what they were doing and try to capture them and you know I, i it was that was that was really (laughs) prescient of of him. If that's what he was really trying to accomplish there, then that was like a stroke of genius, if not psychic ability. (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
0: So uh, how about we move on to our bonus question? What is a film that you didn't initially like, but you enjoyed or loved it after revisiting it several years later? And Stephen, do you want to start us off again?
1: Um, Sure. I actually, it's funny when I watch a movie and if I don't like it, I don't watch it again. Mm-hmm. So it was really hard for me to find one that I actually did watch again. And it's unfortunate, but it was Austin Powers, the first one. Because I saw it in the theater and I was just like, this movie's awful. And I could barely sit through it. And then I saw it maybe like two years later and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. So that's the only thing I could think of that I couldn't think of anything higher brow than that because there's certain movies I'm like, I'm not watching that again. So.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Laura.
2: I only could think of the reverse. <laughs> um, and just like John Hughes movies and 16 candles and how much I enjoyed it and loved it and and then watched it again and was horrified by a lot of it. And like and sort of what inspired the beginning, what I why I rewatched Leon was for the same reasons to see. How I would take it, and it, yeah, I, I I can't think of a positive one to answer your question, but I'm going to keep keep th- keep on noodling it and uh, <laughs> try and come up with something, even if it's at a later podcast.
0: Okay, and Alicia.
2: Yeah, I'm.
3: I think sad to say <laughs> this is embarrassing, <laughs> but like the first time I saw Pulp Fiction, I was just like, "What is going on?" In <laughs> I was like 16 in my defense. It was like, I had never seen anything like that before. And, um, I just was like, it's violent. And, you know, I was a very sort of girly type of girl sometimes, but, um, but yeah, but then I saw it again when I was like in my early twenties or maybe even in college and, um, really liked it. Just was like, what, what was I thinking before? Mm-hmm. Like, how did I not recognize what was going on here before? Now someone's banging on my wall. Oh, that's you so. now? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Oh, funny. I thought that was me. That's hilarious. Because I was like, wow. what? Okay. Even though this was my question, I'm not sure I have a good example of a movie that like, I loved after seeing it again years later. But I'm just going to say Michael Clayton which I mentioned when I rewatched it earlier in doing this podcast, like the first time I watched that movie, I just thought it was stupid. I just did not get it. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. And then when I rewatched it recently, after I feel like become a very hyped movie, especially among critics and like film people, I definitely liked it a lot more. I, I, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say, I, I love it, but it, I definitely missed something in it the first time and was almost like embarrassed by how off the mark I was in my assessment previously. Um, it's a good movie. It's a really, it's an entertaining, enjoyable movie, um, suspenseful and all that. And yeah. So I'm going to go with that just because it's recency bias if nothing else.
2: Just curious what everyone else thinks of Michael Clayton. Cause I never was... saw it. Oh, it's excellent. I also- Jeremiah, you should watch it again. And maybe you'll <laughs> love it next time. <laughs> maybe.
0: I mean, I definitely liked it a lot uh, after rewatching it. But yeah, anyway. All right. And we also had some really good answers in the Facebook group. Uh, Rebecca said, I saw The Big Lebowski for the first time on my 16th birthday at a friend's house. I remember being in a terrible mood and I hated the movie. Watched it again 13 years later and really ended up enjoying it. And then Marta said The Royal Tenenbaums. Michelle agreed with that and said, me too. I think because I loved Rushmore so much and my expectations were so high, when I saw it in the theater, I somehow felt slightly underwhelmed. But I've actually grown to like it more with each viewing. And uh, Marta then agreed and said, it's, it's got great one-liners. Um, and then let's see. Marie said Anchorman. Anchorman. J.P.K. said, our previous guest, J.P.K., by the way, they go back and check out the Searchers episode. Um, he said, think the first time I saw Breakfast at Tiffany's, I didn't understand many things about life. Now I enjoy the movie much more, but hate Mickey Rooney, which they just cut him out of the film. So there you go. And Charlie said, this is hard. I usually don't rewatch things I don't like. On top of this, movies I rewatch, I tend to end up liking less, not more. The first thing that comes to mind is Moonlight. I didn't like it when I first saw it. When I watched it again, I appreciated it more, but it's still not a film I like very much. So sort of answers the question. And uh, let's see. I, I, I'll also just throw in that I, th- I thought of another one <laughs> that is actually a better answer for me than, although Michael Clayton, I think, was still worth discussing. But The Exorcist is the best illustration of this to me. The first time I saw that uh, was on VHS at home with some friends when I was in high school. And I thought it was so bad, like laughably bad. And then I saw it again in the theater when the director's cut came out when I was in college. And I thought it was amazing. So I don't know if it was the audience experience or the uh, what they added for the director's cut or what, but just I enjoyed it so much more. So our next episode is Mia's fourth pick. It is Persona, directed by Ingmar Bergman and released in 1966. It's available to stream with a subscription on the Criterion channel or on HBO Max. It is also available to rent via Apple or Amazon. So that's it for this episode of the Stereactive Movie Club. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club. You can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com. Stereoactive Movie Club. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media.